Hello and welcome to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, founder of Style Story, where you can shop, learn and explore the world of Korean skincare and the founder of K-beauty brand, Jellyco. So a big warm welcome back to all of our regular listeners. It is lovely to have you here with me again. Uh, and to those who are joining us for the first time, of course, also to you, a big warm welcome. Uh, if it is your first time tuning in, I guess I might just give you a little bit of a rundown on what you might expect to hear on this show and also just a little bit of an intro to who I am, who the person speaking to you in your ears right now is. So on this show, we discuss lots and lots of different topics to do with Korean beauty, global beauty, how K-beauty and what's happening in the industry here is impacting on global trends as well. Uh, We run through the new products, new releases, we share reviews, feedback, all of those kind of things, recommendations, do's and don'ts. Uh, And then of course, a lot of skincare and makeup tips and advice as well. Uh, If you're wondering who I am and why you are currently listening to me. So obviously I mentioned that I am a K-beauty expert. I have been working in the industry now for a very, very long time across multiple countries. Uh, As you can probably tell from my accent, I am originally from Australia uh, and I actually set up Australia's very first online e-commerce store dedicated to Korean beauty all the way back in 2014. Uh, Prior to that, we were selling offline. Uh, So I have had a lot of experience working in the distribution side of the business in export and import, working with lots and lots of different brands. Uh, and so that is why I, I guess that's how I got started in the industry. I then moved over to Korea for the second time. I did a uni exchange here all the way back in 2011. I moved back here for the second time in 2016 and, uh, they haven't been able to get rid of me yet. I'm still here. It's 2023 currently. So I've been here for a while. Uh, I'm actually applying for my permanent residency this year, which is a very exciting. I finally qualify. This country does not make it easy for foreigners who are trying to stay here permanently. But nevertheless, I have outwitted, outlasted and outplayed the Korean Immigration Department and I finally qualify for one of those visas. So I will be getting my hands on it. Sometime, who knows? It probably won't come through for a while, actually, unfortunately, if my husband's is anything to go by. He applied last year. He managed to qualify for it last year and he still hasn't got it. That's a whole nother different story. <laughs> uh, but what I do here, so obviously uh, we uh, manufacture Korean beauty products here for our own brand, Jellico. I work with other brand founders from around the world. I work with estheticians, people looking to stock Korean beauty products in their own um aesthetic clinic or spa overseas. Uh, And I also am the uh, resident K-beauty expert on one of the local radio stations here in Korea as well, TBS EFM. So that is me in a nutshell. That's what I do. Uh, I do some consulting work. If you would like to work with me, uh, if you you are starting your own brand, uh, looking to manufacture products over here, obviously get in touch. I would be, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, And I do 
do often hear from listeners who are looking to explore um, ways that they can work in the industry as well. Uh, I'm not going to lie, it's not the easiest industry to break into for obvious reasons. Um, Number one being that you, to come over here, need a visa. Uh, You need to be able to speak Korean, really, to live here um, for any length of time. I don't think it's very helpful to try and get by in English. Um, But there are lots of things happening in this industry because of how global K-beauty has become uh, and the impact that it has had on what's trending everywhere in the world. Um, Korean beauty these days is not so much about just what's going on in Korea, but really about um, the impact of Korean products and Korean beauty trends in other parts of the world. Uh, And, you know, I did an episode recently about how what's trending in Korea these days has a lot less to do with what's trending in K-beauty overseas, because what's trending overseas has really taken on a life of its own now that K-beauty is operating in so many different languages and markets. Um, It really has uh, morphed into lots of different things for lots of different people. Uh, And, you know, more and more brands than ever before are manufacturing their products in Korea as well. Uh, Selena Gomez, her Rare Beauty lip oils are made here in Korea, for example. It Cosmetics, their CC creams, very popular, are made here. Huda Beauty, uh, her Wishful Skin line is made here in Korea. Lots and lots of different brands doing things in Korea these days. So that brings me on to the topic of today's episode, which is DIY cosmetic formulation. Uh, So cosmetic formulation is something that I have been able to get my hands dirty with for quite a few years at this point, working with uh, our own brands and then also other brands and founders that are doing things over here. Uh, And I've gotten to oversee the the process of bringing new cosmetic formulas to life for lots and lots of different products. Uh, And it is definitely not for the faint of heart because there is a lot that goes into making cosmetic products. But at the moment, one of the trending uh, hashtags, I guess, on TikTok is hashtag cosmetic hack. And a lot of the time, these cosmetic hacks will involve DIY skincare or cosmetic formulation. And I think that this happens for a lot of reasons. Number one is the increased demand for personalized products. People are wanting products that are just for them. You know, color matching is a really big trend here in Korea at the moment. Lots of people are paying a lot of money to go and have their undertones matched by an expert, a professional to tell them what kind of color makeup that they should be wearing. I know that this is a thing that you can do in other countries as well, but this is really popular at the moment here. Uh, Customized cosmetics is just a whole growth area. You know, the idea that you can have a foundation shade made exactly to match you rather than picking stuff up off the shelf. All of this is really, really popular. Uh, And so I think people on TikTok are picking up on this. People want to be able to express their own style. Uh, In a lot of cases, people don't necessarily have the funds available to go out and buy, you know, a hundred different things and see which one works best for them. So they're trying to DIY it themselves. Uh, And look, I think that there are a lot of benefits of doing that. You can express your own personality and create a color maybe that's not even on the market. Maybe it doesn't even exist. Um, However, safety is the big thing. 
that is uh, a concern to me when I see videos like this. So what I wanted to have a chat through today was just some of the dangers of DIYing, just some things to look out for if you're seeing the same kind of videos that I'm seeing on TikTok as well. Uh, And a couple of things that are just absolute no-nos that you just shouldn't muck around with. So I think the big thing that I'm seeing at the moment, uh, obviously, you know, the DIY face masks and stuff like that, as long as you're using them at the time that you're creating them and not storing them for later, I don't have a a massive problem with, you know, like the oat mask ones, all of those kind of things. I would be careful if you're mixing things like lemon and bicarb soda, just because those ingredients at the wrong pH level can be very, very damaging for your skin uh, and probably just something you don't want to around with. I mean, some of the more probably uh, benign ones that I've seen are things like the DIY exfoliating pads. People are mixing like olive oil and sugar onto like a, a cotton pad and using that as like an exfoliating pad rather than buying them. Now, look, benign, yes. Useful, not so sure. Olive oil, it's not that cheap to be honest. And a lot of the exfoliating pads really don't run that expensive. So I don't know if you're really saving that much from doing this yourself. Probably just go out and buy a pack of the of the ones that are already done for you. Uh, but some of the more dangerous ones are the trends at the moment that are things like mixing lip gloss and eyeshadow and using them as lip colors. So what I've seen people doing is they're scratching out their eyeshadow formula. So it's something that comes in like a compressed powder and then mixing it in with like a transparent lip gloss. Uh, And that way they can get lots of different colors and glossy textures and things like that. Uh, and people giving them rave reviews and saying, oh, this is amazing. You know, you can get, make so many different colors from it, but this is not really a great way of making your own cosmetics. And these are just a couple of the reasons why. Number one is that pollution can be a big problem. Contaminants when you're dealing with things like this, particularly if this is an old eyeshadow palette that you've had banging around for a while that you're now scratching out and mixing in with other things. Uh, Particularly when you're mixing like lip gloss with shadow, water and starch can actually promote microbial growth, which can lead to mold. So that's just one of the things. Cross-contamination is another one. Uh, So I've, I've actually seen some cosmetic chemists, people like Ramon Pagan, who I believe believe is at glow with Ramon. And basically what he said is if you're going to be doing this, then stick to the same kinds of products. Uh, so stick to the same purpose of the products. And for example, he said, if you're going to do that with lip products, then you can mix lip product with lip product. That's okay. But when it comes to like the eyeshadows and things like that, that's a no, no, don't be mixing your eyeshadows with lip products. That is just asking for, um, you know, disaster basically. I think in general, if you are going to be mixing products that have already been opened, that is a lot more risky from a safety perspective. Other products can deteriorate. uh, And, you know, once they're opened, you will maybe have noticed this with some of your products is that once a product is exposed to heat and light, it starts changing. The process of degradation 
commences. Uh, and if you leave them open long enough at the right conditions or the wrong conditions, as the case may be, you can get oxidization. So they'll start to change color and things like that. So cosmetics, when we make them for commercial sale as a brand, Honestly, the conditions that they have in the labs are just like chalk and cheese when it comes to doing uh, things that you would do on your your kitchen. It's very sterile. Uh, Everyone's wearing hairnets. People are wearing gloves, for example. All of the containers and whatnot are stored in the right conditions to make sure that this is not going to be a problem. So I think you're asking for trouble if you're arbitrarily mixing a whole bunch of things that have already been open. The other thing I would say is don't try and replicate the process of creating a cosmetic if you've never done a formulation course uh, and, you know, like store it in a jar or something like that. Mix them on your palette, on a palette or on your hand and use them straight away. Don't try and and store them for later because you're just not going to be able to guarantee the safety of a product like that. Uh, You know, when we're formulating, most people use preservatives and that is to maintain the stability of the product while it's on the shelf. The other thing that we do, and I've spoken about the dramas with this before, is that every cosmetic formula is formulated specifically for the packaging that it's going to go in. And this is an ongoing debacle, usually when you're coming up with a new product, is trying to get it to pass all of its safety and stability tests in the packaging that it's in. Products that I know for a fact can get quite dicey and will tend to fail a couple of times before they pass are things like cleansing balms because they have to be able to withstand really high heat. Anything in tube packaging is also hard because tubes can explode when they are um, exposed to the wrong conditions. So that can be an ongoing process when you are formulating something that is going into a tube to try and make sure it passes the stability and safety testing. The other big one that I would implore you not to DIY yourself or not to uh, play cosmetic chemist at home with is your sunscreen products. Now, I have seen commentary from a lot of people uh, who mix their sunscreens in with various different things, giving reasons why. And some of the reasons are, well, it gives me a white cast. It leaves a white cast. So I'm trying to reduce that by mixing my sunscreen in with something else. Or I've seen people saying I get a nicer consistency from the sunscreen when I mix it. Other people have even said that they do it to save time in the morning. They're like, oh, I'm mixing my sunscreen in with my moisturizer so that I can save some time in the morning and just put on both at once. This is really, really not a good idea. And here is why. You need a quarter of a teaspoon of sunscreen to get the stated benefit from it. You need to apply that much. That is a lot of product. Uh, A lot of people, myself included, like to use the finger method where you squeeze your sunscreen out onto two or three fingers. It depends how long your fingers are so that you know that you've got enough and then apply them to your face. And you always need more than you think. Honestly, if you just squirt it out into your hand, you're unlikely to get enough unless you're using like a teaspoon or whatnot. If you do not apply enough of the sunscreen, you risk sun damage, sunburn, all of those kind of things. Because even if the product is SPF 50, you only get SPF 50 level of protection if you've applied enough of the product. An under application of sunscreen is one of the key reasons that sunscreens fail or don't do what they say they're going to do is because people haven't used them properly. So if you start mixing them in with 
anything else, with your foundation, with your primer, with your moisturizer, you will dilute it, which means you are not going to get the listed or stated level of SPF protection. And you can also destabilize them as well. So that is one that I just would not recommend doing. Uh, I know when you're doing it, it doesn't necessarily seem like it would be that harmful, but it really is a no-go because you're just not going to be able to guarantee that you are getting the stated level of protection of the product. Now, the other thing that, uh, you know, clean beauty being such a big movement at the moment, people are picking up natural bits and pieces around the house and mixing them in as well. Things like the flavorings with the natural products. Now you need to be really careful with all of these kind of things, essential oils and whatnot, because they can cause dermatitis and allergic reactions if they interact with the wrong things, because this actually has an impact and can change their molecular structure. So Korea's National Medical Center has a professor called Park Mi Yeon, and she has uh, spoken about this in the Korean media as well, uh, particularly because of this clean beauty movement about some of the uh, cross reactions and interactions that can happen. So that is another big no-no, just in case you're tempted, if you have a few essential oils at home or whatnot, and you've heard that, oh, you know, these are really good because they're natural, do not be tempted to start mixing and matching them in with different things. That is a really quick and easy way to get yourself a case of dermatitis. Uh, and it's just not fun to try and clean that up. So I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it. I think in general, when it comes to these TikTok trends, I, and I know a lot of people aren't watching them super seriously either. Like they're not watching them hoping to pick up on, you know, really serious advice, but sometimes you can see something and wonder like, is that going to work? Does that, you know, have potential or not? I think look firstly at who is giving the advice or the information. If it's like a teenager, which a lot of them seem to be, uh, or just a random person, I think it's probably best to avoid. I don't think your skincare TikTok advice necessarily needs to come from a dermatologist or a cosmetic chemist. Dermatologists obviously have studied skin and, you know, that that gives them their, their level of specialty. But I think sometimes with the kind of products that dermatologists recommend, and I've certainly experienced this myself, because dermatologists see people that have skin conditions uh, and skin issues, things like dermatitis and eczema and... Uh, acne and all of those things. The products that they are most familiar with and the products that they will often recommend are for people that have skin conditions. Whereas, you know, out in the general population, very few people at any given time will have one of these skin conditions. So that can kind of sometimes skew the advice that dermatologists are giving. I'm not saying they don't know what they're talking about. Obviously, that's not true. But, you know, they tend to uh, recommend products and brands that work for people with skin issues. That's for sure, for sure. Like I've had many various skin issues at different times in my life. I'm very familiar with the kind of products that dermatologists love and I totally understand why they do, but there's also a reason why they really love those products. Um, By the same token, I don't think you necessarily need to only take advice from cosmetic chemists. You know, they're formulating the products, but then, you know, do they have the same level of experience with people using a, a, a whole range of different products? Not always. So I don't 
don't think it necessarily needs to come from a dermatologist or a cosmetic chemist, but someone that understands as a base skincare for one product formulation in general is always useful. If someone that you are taking advice from understands how products get formulated, that's a good start. Uh, anyone that has experience working in the industry, that's also another really good start. There are a lot of people that have been working in the industry for a long time who have tried lots and lots of different products, who have had the opportunity to speak with different experts in the industry. I think those are the kind of people, if you're looking for TikTok trends to get on board with, I'd probably stick to those kind of uh, recommendations from people that have some kind of experience rather than just random people DIYing stuff out of their, out of their fridge. So I just thought I would have uh, a chat with you guys about that because skincare TikTok is, is getting really, really big and it's impacting a lot of the things that people are asking for, the products that people are searching for. Uh, This is like the number one thing that people are now asking for when they walk into like a skincare store or, you know, come to an online store like Style Story. They're saying, I saw this product on TikTok. Do you have it? I want to try it all of those kind of things. So TikTok is a little bit of a breeding ground, I guess you could say, for new things coming through. But I think that there are just a couple of things that I would say, you know, exercise caution. For a lot of the stuff, it is fairly benign, but particularly when it comes to things like the sunscreens, that is a really, really big one. Um, You know, I'm sure a lot of people saw Gwyneth Paltrow's video, I think it was last year, where she was talking about using her sunscreen as a highlighter. Like that is not the point. That's not the reason we use sunscreen. Please don't use it like that. But a lot of other ways that people have, you know, found to use it to, you know, maybe decrease things like the white cast are also doing um, damage to the sunscreen itself. That means it probably isn't going to give you the stated level of protection. And those kind of things are not as immediately obvious. Uh, It's the same as people that tell me that they rely on the SPF in their makeup products. Uh, I can't tell you how many people tell me that, that, you know, they bought um, a specific baby BB cream because it has SPF 50 plus in it. Uh, And I never recommend relying solely on the SPF in your makeup products just because once again, you are unlikely to apply enough of the makeup to get a stated benefit. If we're going with the quarter of a teaspoon of sunscreen of an SPF to get the stated benefit, not very many people are applying a quarter of a teaspoon of makeup, of foundation, of BB cream. That is a lot of makeup. So if you are, if you do fall into that category, Even if your makeup has an SPF component in it, that is a secondary component. Secondary sunscreen is what we call them. So I would be applying your SPF first and then your makeup on top of that just to make sure that you are fully protected. So I hope you picked up maybe a useful tip today, hopefully. Uh, And if you did, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would leave us a rating and review. I am going to finish it up here for this week. I will be back in your ears next week with more. And until then, I will see you on Style Story. 